Morning, Church. Um, Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Um, I'm going to read till verse 52, but um, today's sermon will be until uh, chapter 14, verse 12. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them? He said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning uh, again. Thanks, Rachel. Um, as Rachel said, um, Rachel has done some of the reading. We're going to do some of the reading in a bit. So we have uh, quite a bit of ground to cover. Um, but God has a lot of good things to say to us uh, and needed things to say to us. And so let's, let's come before God. Jesus says, um, as he says often, let him who has ears, let him hear. Um, yeah, we need to be careful how we hear. So let's pray that God would give us the grace to hear his word uh, as he wants us to hear it, that we would obey him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, dear Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. Um, and Lord, I pray that you would enable me, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to simply speak your word, uh, to make it clear, to make it plain. But Lord, you are the one who is sovereign over the human heart. I cannot change anyone, only you can. Lord, I pray you would change us this morning. Lord, do what no mere words can do. Lord, I pray that your word would not go out void. It would not come back void, Lord. It would not come back in vain. But it will accomplish what you send it out for. Oh Lord, speak to us and give us ears to hear. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, if you've been a Christian for a while, you, you know that the Christian life is not an easy one. Christian life isn't an easy one. Anyone who tells you that the life of being a Christian is easy is lying to you, right? Following Jesus is no walk in the park. Um, the, the call to follow Jesus, Jesus says if, if you want to follow him, you have to take up your cross and follow him. There's nothing easy about the Christian life. Christian life is a life that is full of discipline and sacrifice. Uh, it's not the life of comfort where we just, or ease, where we just do what we want to do or what we feel like doing, right? Instead, following Jesus, it, it's costly. It costs us everything. And naturally, what that means is that there are times as Christians, we ask the question whether it's all worth it. Is following Jesus worth it? Is it worth all the sacrifice? Is it worth all the pain? And one of the reasons why we ask that is because we have to sacrifice so much for this kingdom. We're called to sacrifice for this kingdom, but often the kingdom of God doesn't seem very impressive. Its glory, its worth isn't always obvious. Sometimes it looks like there's nothing particularly special or distinct about the Christian life. And yet this passage is written so that we would not lose heart. Because the fact that the glory of God's kingdom is hidden is actually God's design. That's God's design. And even though that glory is hidden now, it's glorious, and that glory will be made publicly manifest in the time to come. And so there's lots of material to cover, um, lots of things we're going to look through, but we're really looking at under two headings. So the first thing, I'm going to spend most of our time, we're going to see how actually the glory of God's kingdom is hidden. 
Right? So we're going to look through this entire passage and see how the glory of God's kingdom is hidden. And then far more briefly, we are going to see that the glory of God's kingdom will be revealed. And the point of all of that is to help us to see that the sacrifice and the pain is worth it. It's worth living for God's kingdom. So firstly, then, the glory of God's kingdom is hidden. And we see that firstly in the fact that the people of the kingdom don't seem particularly glorious. The people of God's kingdom, they often seem exactly like everyone else. That's what this first parable is about. So look with me again from verse 24. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them, let them both grow together until the harvest. So, first thing to say, before we even really get to what this is saying, let me say something about what it's not saying. Uh, If you're familiar with this parable, uh, if you've grown up hearing this parable, it's likely you've heard this parable uh, being taught that what Jesus is saying here is that the church is a mixed group. That within the church, there are wheats and weeds. There are those who are truly believers and those who are not. And that actually on the final day, only on the final day, will we know for certain who truly belongs to Jesus and who doesn't. Now, let me say, that is true. Uh, Matthew teaches us, we're going to see this in the Gospel of Matthew, but that is not what this parable is about. This parable is not talking about how the church is mixed. It's true, that's true, but that's not what this parable is about. Because when Jesus interprets it for us in verse 38, he makes it clear that the field is not the church, the field is the world. Right? This parable is actually about the fact that the people of God's kingdom, Christians, often seem so similar to those who are unbelievers here on this side of eternity. On this side of eternity, the people of God's kingdom, they seem so ordinary. But again, if you want to understand how this Bible teaches us that, we need to understand something about this wheat and the weeds. So I'm one of those people, I have the privilege that wherever I've lived, I've gotten on with my neighbours. Right, me and my neighbours, we've, we've always gotten on. We've not always been like the best friends, you know, hanging at each other's houses every day. But we've always been cordial. We've always had a, a nice relationship. Um, but I'm aware that some of you don't have that privilege. Some of you have had some really nasty neighbours. Right? Some of you have had neighbours who are like enemies. Like you're constantly fighting. Always fighting. And so one day you wake up in the morning, you go to your car... And you find that your car's been scratched. And someone's popped your tires. And you know it's your neighbor. You know, you know, you know it was him. But you can't prove it. Why? Because he did it in the, in the dead of night. So you have no evidence. You're, 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 you're raging, but you, you can't prove it. Well, in the ancient world, uh, there were wicked people as well. 
wicked neighbours. Except they didn't scratch cars or pop tyres. What they would do is, while you were sleeping, they would go into your field, let's say you had a field of wheat, and they would sow weeds in your field of wheat. Now, the devious thing is that they sow, the, the weeds that Jesus is talking about here is a particular kind of weed. This weed looks exactly like wheat. So, when it's growing up, the weeds and the wheat, you won't be able to tell the difference. You won't even know that there are weeds when it's first kind of growing up. Add to that the fact that as these weeds and the wheat are growing up, the thing that happens is their roots get all tied up together. By the way, I didn't know any of this before. I'm, I'm no farmer. I don't know anything about this stuff. I had to find that out, right? But the, the roots of the weeds and the wheat, they begin to intertwine. Eventually, it becomes clear that, oh, there's weeds and there's wheat. You can tell the difference. But by that time, the roots are so intertwined, you can't easily get rid of the weeds, right? That's why it's wicked. And side note, they've always been wicked people, right? That's, people have been doing this kind of stuff for, for a long time. And so in this parable, because of the damage that it would cause to try and uproot those weeds, those weeds are so intertwined, right, with the wheat, because of the damage it would cause, the owner tells the servants, look, just let them both grow together. And so for a while, the weeds and the wheat, they they look the same. They're, They're allowed to grow and stay together. And when Jesus interprets the parable, we see the point. Right now, the children of the kingdom do not look all that different from those who are not part of the kingdom. A similar point is made in the last parable, right, from verse 47. There's a dragnet that brings all these different kinds of fish together. And until the dragnet is brought onto shore, and until they're sorted, for a while, all those different kinds of fish, the good fish, the bad fish, they're just all together. And it seems like there's not a big difference between the good fish and the bad fish. They all seem to be the same. In other words, the glory of the people of the kingdom is hidden. It's veiled. They don't seem to be particularly special or unique. They seem to be just like everyone else. And again, if you're a Christian, you you get that, right? You get that. Because Christians are part of the greatest royal family that could ever exist. Christians can say that the king of kings is our father. We've been adopted into his family. And yet, in reality, it often doesn't seem that way. Right? So you go to work or you go to school and you tell your friends or your colleagues that you are part of this royal family and that you know, your father is the king of kings. And they might laugh at you. They probably will laugh at you. And the reason they'll do that is because your life doesn't seem much more glorious than their life. Right? Your unbelieving friend looks, looks at you and says, look, like, you're struggling with the mortgage just like I'm struggling with the mortgage. Right? This cost of living that's hitting me, it's, it's hitting you exactly the same way. Right? You have good days and bad days just like me. Right? You get sick just like me. You have aches and pains just like me. In fact, one day you're going to die just like me. So you say that God is your father. You, you say you belong to this glorious kingdom, but where is the glory? Right? The disciples, they're following Jesus. They've, been part, they've joined this, this glorious kingdom, but they don't glow as they walk in the street, right? They just look like everyday average guys. 
They seem so ordinary because the glory of the people of the kingdom is hidden. And because it's hidden, and because sometimes it doesn't seem like there's a great difference, sometimes we're tempted to ask ourselves, is all the sacrifice worth it? And it isn't just that the the glory of the people of the kingdom is hidden. The glory of the kingdom itself is hidden. So look with me, we'll look at a few verses here. Firstly, verse 31. He, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. Verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. Skip down verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. These parables are all teaching us really one thing. They're teaching us that initially the kingdom doesn't seem that impressive. You see that in the parable of the mustard seed. Jesus says God's kingdom, this kingdom, is actually like this tiny mustard seed that Jesus says is the smallest of all the seeds. Doesn't seem very impressive. Jesus says God's kingdom is like leaven. By the way, leaven is just yeast, right? And you don't need to be an expert baker to to know this, right? One or two episodes of Bake Off will, will help you with this. Yeast, right? When you put yeast in flour, right, it's it's not a lot that you put in. When you first put yeast in flour and you mix it, it doesn't make any difference. If I showed you two batches of flour and one had a bit of yeast in it and the others didn't, you, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. You wouldn't notice it. It's not very impressive. right? Even this, the parables about treasure and this pearl, they both describe the kingdom as something that has to be found. And that's remarkable because the Jews at the time, they're not looking for or expecting some kingdom that has to be found. They're expecting this kingdom that will be just immediately glorious to everyone. They're expecting a, a kingdom that's going to come with such power and such glory. Uh, they're thinking of texts like Daniel 2, which speak of God's kingdom as a stone that's going to come and smash the world empires. They're, they're thinking God's going to bring in his kingdom with this just public display, and all the world is going to see just how glorious God's reign is. But Jesus speaks of a kingdom that's tiny, like a mustard seed. And it's like a bit of yeast. And it's like something that's hidden in a field. And again, it makes us wonder whether uh, it's worth it. And then linked to this fact, right, linked to the fact that Right, the, the, the glory of the people of the kingdom is hidden, and the glory of the kingdom itself is hidden. The glory of the message of the kingdom is also hidden. Verse 34. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundations of the world. We're not going to spend much time on this because we've been saying this last few weeks, particularly last week. The message is hidden. Right? Freddie showed this to us. When Jesus speaks to the crowds, he speaks in parables. They don't get it. Uh, the philosophers, the wise people, the really smart people in Jesus' day, they didn't hear Jesus speak and think, oh, wow, this, 
this is so incredible, this is so wise. Forget everything I'm doing, I need to learn this. No, they, they thought it was foolish. They didn't understand it. Because the message of the kingdom wasn't glorious to them, it was foolishness to them. Right? It remains the same today. Right? We go out, we're going to go out next week, we're going to share the gospel, we're going to evangelize. And so lots of the people we'll speak to, when we tell them that God sent his son to die for sin, you know, and, and you can come and be part of God's family, it sounds like foolishness. It's not a message that immediately seems so glorious. And in Jesus' day, right, it was intentional. Right? He speaks in parables as a judgment for people failing to repent and follow him. And so the glory of the people of the kingdom is hidden. The glory of the kingdom itself is hidden. The glory of the message of the kingdom is hidden. And when you put all those things together, it makes you wonder, like, is all the sacrifice worth it? It doesn't immediately seem like it's worth it. And I think what Matthew does, right, and this is the part we, we didn't read, but we'll read now. What Matthew does is that he gives us two examples of what this looks like in practice. Initially, this was actually going to be uh, next week's sermon. But the, the more I read it, the more I thought actually this belongs with this week. He gives us two tiny passages that give us a picture of what it looks like for the glory of the kingdom to be hidden. So look at me firstly at how Jesus is received in his hometown. So from verse 53. And when Jesus has finished these parables, he went away from them. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Right? The old saying is true. Familiarity breeds contempt. These guys, they reject Jesus. And they reject Jesus because... Jesus' glory is hidden. Remember, Jesus is coming back home. This is his hometown. This is Nazareth. When Jesus went to other cities, he was an outsider. They, they didn't know him, right? So he came, and he was speaking all these wise things and doing all these miracles. And they were like, you know, who is this? But when Jesus came back to Nazareth, they knew Jesus, right? These guys grew up with Jesus, these guys were in PE class with Jesus at Nazareth Primary, right? They, they, they were with him, right? They, they used to go to his mum's house to do their hair, right? That kind of a thing. His dad used to fix their tables. They've been around him. There was nothing ever, so anything special about Jesus. So Jesus, you might be some superstar out there, you know, in those cities that don't know you, but we know you, right? We, we know you. And you know what, that's the, and that's the crazy thing about the incarnation. That's the crazy thing about what happened when God became a man. That's what Christmas is all about. Is that God becomes a man. And he has to be potty trained. And he throws up on his mother. And he gets cuts and bruises playing football. In other words, one of the things this passage tells us is that everything about Jesus' childhood is seemingly normal. Nothing special about him. Right? 
When Jesus went to school, he walked to school. He didn't fly to school. He walked like everyone else. Some of them maybe were married to some of his sisters. And so again, to, to, to those outsiders, maybe Jesus was something special. But to these guys who knew him, they were like, you're, you're just one of us. Right? And Jesus isn't some special name. Jesus is, in fact, one of the most common names at the time. So to these guys, he's just another guy. And the reason for that is because Jesus' glory is hidden. And so despite the fact they hear him teach and they hear his wisdom and they see him do these wonderful miracles, they are offended by him, the text tells us, and they reject him because the glory of this kingdom is hidden. The next example of this is even more stark, right? Because the next example is seen in the death of John the Baptist. So look at me from verse 1 of chapter 14. At that time, Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist's hair on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother, and his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Look, this is a sad, sad, sad tale. Remember, John is the forerunner to Jesus. John is the very first herald of God's kingdom that we meet in Matthew. The first time we hear about God's kingdom is on the lips of John. Right? This great herald of God's kingdom And yet, look how John dies. John dies the most pathetic, shameful death. John doesn't have some heroic death that you see in the films where, you know, you're fighting and you're killing all those people and, you know, somehow you eventually fall down. No, that's not the kind of death he has. No, John's head is cut off. John's head is the prize trophy to some kind of talent show. I've read this story so many times, but again, you can be too familiar with the text. They cut off his head and they put it on a plate. John the Baptist, this great herald of this kingdom, he dies because a girl who's dancing asks for his head. When his disciples, when they go, the, the text tells us they go and pick up his body. Presumably, they have to pick it up in two parts. There's his body and there's his head. Right? Because his head has been cut off. And as shameful as that death is, right, it's, it's just foreshadowing an even more shameful death where the supposed king of the kingdom is going to be hung and shamed and suffocate and die on a cross. So I hope you get the point that the glory of this kingdom is not immediately evident, it doesn't immediately seem so glorious. Christian life doesn't always seem so great. 
And again, it makes us wonder if it's worth it. And look, if, if that's where we were ending, that would be tragic. But that's not where we're ending because the glory of the kingdom is hidden intentionally. And though it, the glory is hidden, it is glorious. Even now, it is glorious. And the day is coming where that glory will be seen by all. And so the message of the kingdom, yes, it, it seems like foolishness to the world. It seems like foolishness to the, the, the experts and the philosophers and the, and the pros. It seems like foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, that message is the wisdom of God. Even now, that message is the power of God. That's why in verse 52 of chapter 13, Jesus talks about it as treasure. The gospel, the message of how God has saved us in Jesus Christ is more precious than gold. It's more precious than any message that exists in this world. It's sweeter than honey. And though it is despised now, that message will be the theme of heaven's praises for eternity. The glory of that message will be known for all eternity. In fact, the new heavens and the new earth will forever resound with the praise of the gospel. This message that is despised now and yet one day is going to be seen in all its infinite glory. And you know, the glory of the kingdom, right, that also is, it seems hidden now, the Bible tells us it's not always going to be that way. Even now, God's kingdom is glorious. Even now, God's kingdom, though it works in seemingly ordinary ways, it's, it's glorious. But one day, everyone will see the glory of that kingdom. That's the point of the parable of the mustard seed. It starts small. It's the tiniest seed. But Jesus says it grows and it becomes bigger than all the plants. It becomes a tree. That, that's the point of the yeast, right? So again, you, you put the yeast in, you can't tell the difference. But put it in the oven and wait. And you will learn and see that actually yeast makes a massive difference. All you need is the time to see it. And so right now, yes, it doesn't look like much. God's kingdom doesn't look like much. But the day is coming when the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. On that day, everyone, all will see God's glory. The, the glory of God's kingdom will be evident. It will be clear. No one will dispute it, right? That day when we're on streets of gold and we're gathered around the great throne, there will be no doubts about just how great our God is. And you know how the glory of God's people, it's hidden now. It's hidden to many now. Again, I have to say, even now it's glorious, right? Even now, Psalm 16 says, even now, God's people, we are the excellent ones. We, we said this when we were going through the series in Revelation. Even now, the church is the most beautiful place in all the earth. Because the church is where God's people are gathered. And the church is where God gathers to meet with us. Even now, the church is glorious. Even now, God's people are glorious. But I get it, right? I get it. To the outside world, we don't look like much now. And it doesn't seem like there's much of a difference right now. And as long as the wheat and the weeds are growing together, it doesn't seem like there's much of a difference. And as long as the fish, the different kinds of fish, are all in the same dragnet, it doesn't seem like there's much of a difference. But that's not how the parables end. Both of those parables end with a great sorting. 
where the wheat and the weeds are separated, where the good fish and the bad fish are separated. And so right now, it may not seem like it makes a big difference whether you follow Jesus or not. But an eternity will make all the difference. It will be all the difference. Because one day, where we spend eternity will depend, the, the entirety of our eternity will hang on what we have made of Jesus Christ. The, eternity of, of our, the, the entirety of our eternity will all depend on whether we faithfully follow Jesus Christ. So right now, we, we look like our unbelieving pairs. Someone might look at us and, and not be able to tell the difference. But that difference is infinite. When you think about the reality of heaven and hell, well, the, the Bible teaches us that there is a hell, there is a place of eternal punishment, and there is a place of eternal bliss. And though it doesn't look like there's much of a difference now, there will be a difference then. And in verse 43, when Jesus is interpreting this parable, he says that those who are following Jesus, they will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So we seem so ordinary right now, and we have all the same struggles that everyone else does. And we have the same pains that everyone else does. And one day, one day we'll die, just like everyone else does. But you know what? That will be the end of the similarities. Because when we are raised, because God raised Jesus Christ from the grave, we too will be raised, and we will be raised with new glorified bodies. And so what is sown in corruption will be raised in incorruption. What is sown in weakness will be raised in power. What is sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. And on that day, when we stand with these new bodies, that mutilated, dismembered body of John the Baptist, his body will be raised. And somehow in God's grace, God will work it. He will restore that body and he will renew that body and he will make it a new body and he will stand with us in this new heaven, the new earth, with new bodies gathered around, shining like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. So it doesn't look like much now, but it's worth it. And so if you're here and you're not trusting in Jesus Christ, the message is clear, it's obvious. Put your faith in him. Because it might not seem like much right now, but God's kingdom has come. And it's glorious. And, and you need to pray for eyes to see that glory. You need to ask that God will give you eyes to see that glory. Because your eternity depends on you seeing that glory. Put your faith in the God who sent his son to die, to bring you into his kingdom. And do so before it's too late. Because one day every eye will see. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. On that day it will be too late. So right now, pray that God will give you grace. Call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon Jesus. And yes, it will involve much sacrifice. Yes, you will have to give up much. Yes, you won't be able to live the life maybe you had planned. Yes, it might even cost you your life but it will be worth it because God's kingdom is glorious. And for those of us who are here who would say that we are trusting in Jesus Christ, this whole passage is designed to encourage us to keep going and keep sacrificing and keep enduring through suffering and keep denying ourselves 
because our suffering right now is not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed. Look, as, as one of your elders, I am, um, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm almost embarrassed. I'm almost scared to, to, to tell, you know, to, to say that you, you need to give this up or you need to give this up for the gospel. I'm all, sometimes I'm, I'm almost, I, 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 I feel bad, you know, sometimes I feel like, oh, should I, you know, that, that's a lot, you know, that would be giving up a lot or, you know, for, being faithful to Jesus Christ, I, I can see the cost, I can see what that would cost you, I, I can see what that would mean, I can see how you might lose your job, I can see what that means for your family situation and, you know, sometimes, sometimes I'm, I, I'm almost tempted to, to be ashamed of that and, and this week I was reminded that I should never be ashamed to tell you to do that. I should never be shy to tell you to do that. Because the glory of God's kingdom is worth everything. And it's so glorious that not only do we give those things up, we give it up with joy. We don't give it up with sorrow. We don't give it up with regret. We don't walk around like, woe is us and what a terrible life we have. No, we, we sacrifice those things. And they're costly things. But we do it with joy. Because we have found the power of great price. That's what this man does. Verse 44. He gives up. He sells all that he has with joy. Because he recognizes just how valuable the treasure is. And he looks crazy. This man looks crazy when he's selling all his stuff. Why are you selling all your stuff? What are you doing? As long as the treasure is hidden in the field, it looks like he's he's a fool. But when he raises that treasure, when, when that treasure is seen, suddenly everyone sees this man is no fool. He's no fool to give up all that he has given up. He's no fool. Because actually he would give those things a million times over if he could have this treasure. Jesus Christ, God's kingdom, is more valuable than anything you have. It's more, look, take everything you have. Take your job, take your family, take the things you love the most. It is more valuable than that times a million, times a billion. If you see him, if you, if you see Jesus, if you, if you get a sense of his glory... You, you know it's worth it. It's worth that. It's worth that. It's worth so much. And, and that's why uh, the early Christians, that's why our, our, our great-grandmothers and great-grandfathers in the faith, that's why when they were being fed to lions, they were singing because they saw the glory, right? They, they got a sense of the glory of God's kingdom, right? That's why our brothers and sisters right now, they're being killed all over the world for the name of Christ. And they're rejoicing, because to them, the glory of the kingdom is not hidden. They see it. It's so glorious. The kingdom is so glorious. And it's so glorious because Jesus is so glorious. This, this kid from Nazareth Primary, this ordinary guy, the carpenter's son, the, the one who's killed like a criminal, that Jesus, he's so glorious. He's the darling of heaven. He's the lamb of God. He's worthy. He, he dies a shameful death, yes, but on the third day he is raised and he's coming again in glory. And now he has this glorified body and it still has the holes in his hand and yet it's glorious. And so look at him. Look at him. See him. See him. See him. Because if you have him, what, what else do you want? What else do you need? The glory might be hidden to your friends and to your colleagues. It might seem like there's not much to it. It might seem it's not worth it. But when Jesus returns, we will see him in all his glory. 
and we will dwell with him for all eternity. And all our sacrifices will be like nothing compared to that. See him. Let's pray. God, our eyes are so dull. They're so blind. We see so much in this world that we think is glorious. We see honor in so many things. And yet we do not see the glory of your kingdom. Lord, I pray you would open our eyes. Open our eyes to see how glorious you are, how glorious your kingdom is how glorious we will be, how glorious your son Jesus Christ is, how worthy he is. Yeah, Lord, the evil one would would deceive us. Lord, keep us from the evil one. Help us to rejoice in your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name.